Welcome to Tomorrow's Tech Today, bringing you the latest in technology, talent, and transformational change. With me, your host, Professor Sally Eves. Hi, everyone, and a very warm welcome to a special episode which will give you an exclusive heads up on all the news, themes, and dynamic content ahead at Pega World Inspire. It's starting on May 24th and also streaming live across multiple time zones right across the globe. Plus, we're going to explore some fascinating new insights from brand new research by Pegasystems, and it's all about the critical field of complexity. And to do this, I think I couldn't have a better placed guest for the discussion. It's my pleasure to welcome to the show Don Sherman, CTO of Pegasystems. Welcome, Don. Great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, my absolute pleasure. So maybe the best place to start. It'd be lovely to share a little bit more about yourself, your role and your journey to your CTO position at the moment. I'm sure it'll inspire many of our audience today. Uh, sure. So, um, yeah, I've, uh, I've been lucky enough, I guess, to have uh, worked up my career at PEGA. I actually joined PEGA shortly after college, and I, I started in the support organization. I spent a lot of time there answering pager calls at night, fixing client problems when they went wrong. I, spent a, I moved from there and spent time doing the actual implementations for our clients, so making the software getting it installed, doing the configuration, learned a lot about the kinds of environments that we need to work in. And from there, moved into engineering. So I actually spent some time writing some code, but missed the client-facing side of it. So when I got the opportunity to move into more of a pre-sales role around sort of helping people understand our architecture and how our architecture and technology really works and fits in their environment, spent about 10 years doing that. And uh, at a certain point, was sort of being introduced as the CTO when we needed to talk to clients about technology and direction, and eventually that became my role. So I operate now, you know, in about 50% of my time with our clients and about 50% of our time with our product and strategy teams, making sure that what we're hearing from the clients makes its way back into what we're doing as a company. Oh, fantastic. I love that. that active listening so, so important. I love that depth and variety of experience as well. And kind of brought back a memory um, before I, I had a CTO role in telecoms. Before that, again, I remember the pager very well, the, the, the night calls and everything like that. I, I know that experience well. So thank you very much for sharing that. That's brilliant. So perhaps we can start looking at Pega World Inspire. Can't wait. The countdown is very much on for that. So what can the audience expect you know, from some of the keynotes, topics, format, etc.? It'd be lovely to give a little sneak peek and build that curiosity ahead of the event. Yeah. So uh, Pega World Inspire is a virtual event this year. Yeah, I think we are, like everybody, excited to get back into person. We've got one more year where we're going to be virtual. But because of that, we want to keep the event really condensed. So it's two hours and 30 minutes from end to end. I think you're going to get a lot of really impactful content, you know, pragmatic tools, stories from clients. So we're going to hear from T-Mobile. We're going to hear from Lloyd's Banking Group. We're going to hear from Booking.com about the various things that they're doing. And we're going to keep it really dynamic and try to keep it pretty fresh. So I'm going to be doing a keynote where we kind of talk about the future of IT and the kinds of skills that we need to be developing inside the organization to, to really kind of respond to what I think is a almost a crisis of complexity and focus inside our organizations. I, I think we're going to have a lot of fun. And hopefully people walk away with some useful and pragmatic tools they can bring back to their teams and their businesses. Fantastic. I love that. And um, I was looking on the Twitter feed over the last few days as well. And some little nuggets there kind of giving a flavor of what some of those keynotes might be in terms of AI powered decision making and rise of low code. 
um, but also around personalized experience. Again, a really nice variety there. And I must say as well, I really noticed the Joe Richardson tweet as well. So much energy around that. So I think the MC hosting of this event really kind of gives into that flavor you were describing about being very fresh and dynamic as well. So super looking forward to that. Fantastic. You mentioned research there as well. So it gives me a really nice segue, I think, now to start looking into that complexity research we were talking about. Could you really um, kind of drill into that a little bit more detail, you know, the audience that was surveyed around that and some of the key findings as well? I think we're all appreciating complexity is clearly on the rise. I know looking at some of the stats myself, that certainly came out as maybe a place to start. Yeah, I mean, so so what we, we were really curious about, you know, people have been talking over the last couple of years about sort of this, the vibe shift that's happened, right? And and ways of sort of looking at how what has been going on in the world over the past couple of years has really transformed our work lives, our home lives, everything. So we wanted to get a real sense of like, what what is that impact on business? So we surveyed 4,000 employees across all levels, you know, leadership all the way down to sort of frontline employees in the Americas, in EMEA, and in APAC to, to get a sense of sort of what the state of business complexity is. I think it's not surprising, but... The general sense is, yeah, we feel it, right? So three out of four people told us that they felt complexity in their jobs is increasing. You know, the 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 overload or the things that are driving that are things like information overload and frankly, our own internal processes. You know, 90% talked about managing information overload as the top factor. 89% talked about navigating internal processes and bureaucracies adding complexity. And the analogy that I often use is sort of the one that I feel, you know, reflects at home. And I don't know what the experience has been in the UK, but over the past, you know, three, four years, we've moved from having a cable provider to now we have all these choices, right? So I have all these different streaming services, which from a choice perspective is great, but boy, it certainly feels like a lot more now that I have to deal with, right? You know, I got, I have all these different services and which ones do I need? And do I, am I going to really watch that show? Oh, my kid likes to watch that show. Like, I, I think that kind of complexity has just exploded across our, our, our businesses as well. I couldn't agree more. I was doing a session about security um today, actually. And that was one of the themes that was coming through that as well. You know, so many increases in security tools, for example. And actually, it gets to kind of a tipping point of impact. If you've got too many tools and techniques and choices um, and different relationships and things like that, actually, it becomes to a point where there's more management of that than the risk you were trying to negate in the first place, if you see what I mean. So there's lots of interesting analogies around that. Really, really important. Another thing that came out for me in terms of the complexity research specifically as well is um, people not feeling they're getting the help that they need. I wonder if we could talk about that a little bit more, too. I think that, you know, people are really kind of feeling the resource squeeze, right? I think 86% of respondents that we talked to felt that they don't have the resources they need to manage through this, the, the complexity. And frankly, if the current economic situation continues and the tightness of the hiring market continues, you know, I think that that's a problem that's going to get worse. It's not going to go away. So I think it really becomes incumbent on businesses to think pretty deeply about their processes, how they use technology, how they're connecting the various islands of their technology together. You don't, you don't need to constantly be backfilling people to step into what are actually just gaps in your systems or gaps in your internal processes. Absolutely. And, and again, looking at the research, the role of the pandemic in here, you've touched on it already to an extent, had a real acceleration factor around this business complexity as well. And also it was interesting to see specifically around hybrid work, because again, quite a lot of research coming around this at the moment and different perceptions about, you know, this 
success of that, the challenges, the opportunities. It was interesting for me as well that I think it was one in three of the employees surveyed in your study was saying, actually, again, that was contributing to complexity as well. What, why was that? What was what were you finding from responses specifically on that point? So, so I think I think a couple of pieces. One is, you know, we saw, you know, of those employees, you know, close to 40 percent of them said that hybrid work made it harder to balance their their work lives and their personal lives. Right. And I think I think we all feel that a little bit of that sort of daily wall between like I get in my commute, I go to work, I finish my work, I commute home and I put work aside for at least a little bit while I engage with my family or my friends, my loved ones, whatever the case may be. That boundary has disappeared. So the work lives and the personal lives intermingle which gives us some freedom, right? It gives us flexibility, but it also means that you have to be much more thoughtful about things. You know, I I think the other thing that we still haven't figured out is putting the right kind of thoughtfulness and purposefulness behind the return to office. I know there are lots of people who want to be back in the office, you know, and I completely understand, you know, I go go into our office and I, I certainly find a lot of, especially a lot of our younger employees, don't necessarily want to be working from home with their apartment with three roommates. So they are more than happy to, to come back into the office. But at the same time, I also think you don't want to bring employees back into the office to sit in a cube on Zoom calls, right? So you've got to actually be purposeful so that you're, if you are going to bring people in, you're going to get that actual collaboration and in-person value together. And again, that just means another thing we need to balance as we think about how we work. Absolutely. I think it's a really interesting one. I I was doing some research with an architect um, design firm recently, looking at the future of the work and kind of the future of the office. And we were coming up with, you know, obviously we've got the digital kind of office version. We've got this hybrid, but also we've still got a really important place for the physical office too. It's about kind of reimagining and reframing what that looks like, you know, the nature of space, place and pace to a certain extent. And I came came up with this concept of the collaboratory in terms of that physical space being used with purpose. It's exactly what you were saying there. I really love that point, particularly around collaboration, ideation, co-creation, that type of activity. So I think it's an important point, as you said there, to kind of pause to reflect. I think we are at that point of transition in many, many countries across the globe at the moment about what's worked well, what can we do better, and how can we best use space in whichever form we're looking at it. I think it's so, so important. Um, Another thing that struck me from the research as well is kind of this headline, really, that digital transformation, although we had that massive, you know, increase, it hasn't gone far enough. And again, some of these initiatives have actually contributed to complexity. Could you unpack that a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, we we, we saw that about 42% of respondents actually thought that digital transformation in some cases has increased complexity. And, And I think part of that is maybe the places where we've we've misplaced digital transformation a little bit. We've confused digital transformation, which is really about your business, not about your technology. It's about how your business is enabled by technology. But in some places, I feel like we've replaced digital transformation with, well, we're going to move some stuff to the cloud. Woohoo, congratulations, digitally transformed, right? And and if you take that that attitude you know, you were talking earlier about, you know, all the security software that's out there. But I mean, go look at the cloud native computing foundation roadmap. 70% of the stuff on that map, I don't know what it is. And so obviously now as you start engaging with all these cloud technology stacks and these different providers and vendors, there's a whole new complexity. Microservices architectures are more complicated architectures than monolith architectures. Completely agree that they're better, they're scalable, they offer opportunity for resiliency, they offer agility, 
but they are more complicated than just building monoliths. So we have to be really, I keep coming back to this word thoughtful, but I think we really need to, as we think about digital transformation, go back to the fundamental core question, which is what are we trying to achieve as a business in terms of the experiences we give to our customers, the experiences we provide to employees, the level of agility that we need to have? And then how do we put technology in place to support that? And I think that's the part of digital transformation we need to make sure that we're getting right. Yeah, absolutely. And underpinning all of this change as well with with the right education and awareness, support people in these ever evolving roles as well. Because we talk a lot, don't we, about organizational agility, maybe talk less around, say, team level agility or personal um, and again, some research I was like an architect of. So it was kind of, they call it PI, which sounds like a detective, doesn't it? But it was kind of helping to conceive the development of the research constructs and kind of seeing it through over a year period. That came out recently too. And that was kind of saying that the three top barriers to digital transformation success were people factor related, particularly around digital skills, digital skills, readiness, innovation skills. Um, and again, people felt that maybe they didn't have the right support around that. Maybe if you're in a non-technical facing role, you still need to know about data literacy elements, you know, and, and maybe they didn't feel the right support was there. There were so many elements to this. But the key thing was it was people related and particularly around digital skills and your self-perception of, of, of how strong you were on that journey. You know, so again, the support around that, I think, is absolutely critical, too. Well, we, we, one of the things we're going to be talking about, I'm going to be talking a little bit about my keynote at Pega World. In some other research we did, we when we we asked IT leaders about what skills that they were going to think were you know most important in the future, digital and computation skills were one. But the other thing that kept popping up was personal and social soft skills, collaboration, leadership, and I think the other thing that we we sometimes miss about digital transformation, digital transformation is about change. It's about and driving change in an organization takes incredible amounts of collaboration. It takes that active listening we were talking about earlier. It takes empathy. You've got to be seeding those skills into your IT departments, as well as just the technology skills, right? Because, you know, increasingly, I think in some cases, the technology skills are important. They can increasingly be commoditized. You know, low code can reduce the amount of coding you actually need, but it actually increases the amount of people that you need who can actually coach a business person on how to put together an app that is going to be well integrated and secure and sustainable into the future. And that's a different set of skills than just being able to churn out a bunch of Java really quickly. So, so, so true. I, I also run a nonprofit. Um, and as part of the work we do there, we focus one of our kind of three pillars is around STEAM learning. So putting that equal value on STEM plus the arts in its broader sense and empathy that you mentioned there, leading with empathy, I think is probably number one in importance at the moment, but also things around curiosity, creativity, and problem solving skills. You know, also, you know, the soft skills, I think, needs to be renamed, doesn't it? It's like essential skills for life, I would say. And that is so key to giving people that agility, I think. We democratize access to that type of learning, make training more personalized and also support people not just with access to, to skills training, but also helping people with the confidence to apply those skills as well. You now, I do some stuff about a metacognition. 
um, kind of the analogy for that is kind of gym for your brain, if you see what I mean. And it, it helps people identify you know, what style works for them. I think the more that we can support people with that, I think it's hugely significant. So I could not agree more strongly. I think that's brilliant. And your point on change, this all being a change question. I also think, you know, in terms of processes within organisations as well, you know, things like change management approaches like um, CICD or continuous integration, continuous deployment, that can be really effective as well. Because um, again, it's more agile, step-by-step change and can help us be, you know, more in the moment and bring things in more quickly and experiment with that. So there's so much to unpack on that one, isn't there? Yes, yes, there is. And I think, you know, there's a little bit of back to the future here, but there was a famous essay from the, or a lecture, I think from the 1940s or 50s, that talked about the two cultures that had grown up in academia, the separation between the science and the humanities, and that people had become either specialists in the sciences or specialists in the humanities. But the, the true innovation actually happened with the intersection of the two. There's nothing worse than a scientist who's never learned ethics. And I think we need more and more of that, you know, in leadership, in our businesses, in our IT departments, these people who can combine, yes, I have a strong technology foundation, but I bring the creativity, I bring the communication skills, I bring the empathy and the listening skills to bear, because ultimately, it's not going to be the organizations that can just spin out code. It's going to be the organizations that can take technology and apply it to business in a new, creative and different way. So, so true. And we touched briefly earlier on as well about, about, about talent. And I'd love to ask you another question, if I may, about kind of the role of purpose in organisations as well, because I've seen Pega do some great work around community, which is really, really close to my heart. But again, I'm seeing that as another kind of influential factor. You were talking about you know, younger people wanting to be more in the office more sometimes because of context, etc. But also around Gen Z or Z in particular, but I think also this is tipping across other demographics as well seeing that kind of quest for shared values business and that personal alignment, you know, you want to work for, buy from, advocate organisations that have got that shared value that you have. I'm seeing that as well, the embedding of purpose um, with all, in organisation life as, as a real kind of growth area at the moment, which is, you know, I'm delighted to see, frankly. I wonder if I could just ask you a little question about that. I think we see a lot of that both in our own business and in our clients, right? The one being and needing to take a stand as an organization and, you know, put our hands up for places where we want to either represent or promote groups that I think sometimes get underrepresented, especially in the technology sector, but also making sure that we're aligning and supporting things that we believe are in the social good. And frankly, I think there's a lot that we can do in the technology space to help align that. You know, I think AI is incredibly powerful and it can actually be used in the right way. It can improve customer experiences. It can improve employee experiences. It frankly also can be used to exploit people. You know, AI is just based on data. Our data, unfortunately, reflects the biases that are still latent in parts of our society. And if we don't put the right kind of thinking around how are we not, not just do we have the data science, but have we actually thought through the bias implications and put in the right kind of ethical bias testing against our AI? Have we built AI models that are empathetic towards our customers, towards our employees? And do we actually have mechanisms built into our business to test that and check that? So it's not just that we're being purpose-driven, but we've actually then architected and designed our technology to stay aligned with and fulfill those values and those purposes that we think are important as an organization. 
so so true i love that i think that point about bias and human biases it's sometimes understated because i think it's over 180 of them on, on latest latest research and they can be baked in and you're absolutely spot on so putting those checks and balances in place making that systematic i think it's absolutely huge and it kind of helps move beyond you know transparency around these areas to true commitment and accountability to delivering on that as well another thing that struck me as, as we were talking there as well is going back to the complexity subject specifically we have a lot of measures around ESG increasingly, but sometimes they can be standalone, can't they, in terms of the reporting. But again, going back to that integration, visibility, bringing all these elements together, again, the more that we can kind of dashboard about all these different elements, you know, for example, it could be cloud waste, going back to the cloud question earlier on. Um, but equally, what our carbon consumption is, there's ways to bring these data together, you know, in the dashboard type of format, etc, to make it more of everyday organisational life. And the more that things are part of the everyday, the more we can act on them, you know, in, in real time, use that active intelligence, and they're not separate conversations or siloed ones, they're under that kind of more unified vision, so to speak. I think that's completely true. And I think it, it also just gets back to that point of view of sort of skills and your, your comment about STEAM, right, which is we can't separate the education and the training around the technology, around the data science, for example, without also including the thinking around bias and transparency and empathy. And we have to pull those things together so that these values, these pieces of, of ESG that we're doing become just embedded into our thinking as organizations and embedded into the applications and programs and projects that we roll out, not sort of just an afterthought of something we measure after the fact and, and stick in a report at the end of the year. Absolutely. That's the truly way to make it embedded, isn't it? Absolutely. It's kind of the biggest takeaway to a certain extent from your research. You know, we can't deliver things piecemeal. They can't be siloed. We've got to implement them holistically, but integrated. You know, it's that unified approach again, and all the elements we've talked about together, but also the thoughtfulness, um, the purposefulness that we've talked about today as well. I think that's really true in, in across our conversation. Well, as we bring things to a close, maybe I can just do one final question. So going back to our two elements here, we've got Pegawell coming up. We've got the complexity research. If you had one final takeaway to share with the audience about and what to look forward to or a key nugget that you'd love to share that we haven't covered so far, perhaps we could share that to bring our conversation to a close today. Yeah, well, well look, I think, it's, I think it's one thing to identify that things are getting complicated, right? And identify that, you know, I think a little bit, not just in our work lives, but in general, that complexity is leading to a little bit of what I would call almost a crisis of focus. What I'm really looking forward to at Pega World, some actual tools to help you you deal with it. You know, we believe that there are ways to think about, for example, your architectures in such a way that you begin to insulate that complexity away from your customers and away from your employees that you start connecting between these different systems that organizations have so that employees don't feel like the system world that they have to navigate is actually a driver of that complexity. I think you know that employees don't feel they are single-handedly responsible for meeting increasing demands from the customers, but they actually have the systems in place to help them do it. I think those kinds of things, this real pragmatic steps that organizations can take to confront complexity, because I don't think it's going away. I don't think we can ignore it. But I think we have to find a way to cut through it and simplify it for our customers, for our employees, and ultimately for the good of our businesses. 
Absolutely. I think the first step with any change, isn't it, is that recognition, is that acknowledgement that we've been discussing today. And that's fantastic that we can look ahead next week and kind of come together and drill through some of these actualizations of solutions to cut through those friction points and complexity um, to move beyond that and to simplify things and you know bring things together, focus on that integration and visibility. So I'm super excited to see what's in store at Pega World next week. And I will be absolutely there through the duration. Looking forward to sharing all, all the news. So thank you so much, Don. Honestly, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for your time today. Thank you. This has been great. My pleasure. Thank you. And thank you all for watching and listening too. And what we'll do is we'll share some of the nuggets from this conversation, some of the um, research details, news around the event as well in the show notes. And we hope to see you there and look forward to you joining us again soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Tomorrow's Tech Today. If you enjoy what we're doing, please subscribe to us and leave a review. It really means a lot. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram and see more behind the scenes video footage on YouTube. Thanks for listening.